welcome to the Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. Hi, good morning, everybody. I'm Larry. I'm a sexaholic, and welcome to this meeting of uh, one of our lead meetings here. And uh, Hanak is going to be talking this morning, sharing his story. And uh, we asked Hanak to do this because uh, I I don't really know him that well, other than from coming to conferences. I've got a lot of conferences, and. uh, you know, when somebody comes to a conference and then they're at the next conference and they're at another conference, I mean, they ain't spending all this money because they have nothing better to do. There's just, you know. Um, there's, they're probably serious about this program. And uh, from the little sharing that I've heard of Hanak uh, at these different conferences, uh, I'm pretty convinced uh, that uh, he is serious about this program and we were real interested to hear how it works for Hanek, and I'm sure we're going to get something very substantial and a whole new angle on things from him this morning. So without further ado, we'll hear from Hanek, and uh, he's going to, the way the lead meetings go here, he's going to talk the whole time, and when he's done, we're done. Um, this is not question-answer discussion meeting, it's a lead meeting, and uh, uh Onyx done in 10 minutes, then uh, maybe we'll have some questions and, and just sharing and comments. But uh, happy to give you Hanak. Thank you. Thank you. Good morning, everybody. My name, my name is Hanak and I'm a sexaholic. My sobriety date is one day at a time, November 27, 1992. I'm very grateful for that. I also uh, am blessed since that day I haven't played around with Lost in any forum. I haven't uh, cruised, I haven't taken any actions of lust. Do I have to say I'm not clean of lust completely? I have a habit when I uh, talk to a woman, even something uh, business-wise, immediately I start fantasizing and I have to pray about it. I'm still a lustaholic and try to get better with it. Okay, let me tell you about myself. I'm crazy, not evil. That's the key to my sobriety. I'm sober today because every morning I get up in the morning and say, God, I'm crazy. I need you. I can't do it alone. I'm going to die unless you help me. It has been working for almost seven years. So it must be true. I guess, you know, in, in science we know you, you try out. You, you have to have proof it's something working. You know, you try it out many times. Once it's proven it works, then it's, that's the best proof, right? So since when I discovered I'm crazy, not evil, and I say it every day, throughout the day, many times, I've been sober. So I guess that's the real answer, right? I'm crazy, not evil. But all my life, I grew up in a very strict religious background. And since 
since I, since when I started acting out sexually, I was plugged with, with guilt and shame, believing that I'm a sinner and I'm bad and I'll be punished. And it was a vicious cycle. The more guilty and shamed I felt, the more I acted out, the deeper I went, the more filthier, the more sinful I felt, the more evil I felt. And the only way I knew how to deal with it is to act out more and in different and more craziest ways. And from the day I discovered that I'm sick, mentally, physically, emotionally sick, it, it means crazy, I'm somehow I'm sober. You know, so I guess, is it proof enough? You tell me, is that proof? <laughs> I mean, six and a half years. Something, right? Six and a half years and... He's sober, so it must be the truth. You know the saying, I hey, the truth will set you free. I guess that's the truth. Okay, now I'll tell you a little bit about my history. In my community where I grew up, it's a very strict religious environment, and from kindergarten and up, everything is divided, boys and girls. The schools are separately for boys and for girls. And even in the synagogue, when you go to pray, it's divided. Men and women don't worship together. There's a section for men, a section for women. Even in weddings, there's a section for men, a section for the women. Except at the ceremony, up front, the family will get together, but the rest of the crowd will have to stand separate. One side the man, one side the woman. I didn't learn about sex at home. We didn't talk about it. I have a baby sister. When she was born, and I... So my mother died for her, and I realized she looks different than me. I asked my mother certain questions, and she answered me. But then she said to me, don't talk about it anymore. It's not nice to talk about it. Don't. She said to me, she's different, she's a, she's a girl, you're a boy, but that's it. We don't talk about these things. I never spoke to her again about anything sexually. The next thing I know about sex is... That when I was a, when I when I was a kid, I was very advanced in my studies, and I skipped a grade twice. I skipped a class a year. I was pushed up. So when I came into high school, I was the baby. I was like 12 years old in high school, and I lived in Israel at that time, and my I went away. We lived in like in a uh, in a suburban area. There was no roads, no telephones, uh, telephone yet, there's like four or five telephones in the whole neighborhood. And the buses, you had to walk 20 minutes to get a bus, and uh, very few, the public transportation wasn't as well organized. And uh, the state of Israel was then about 20 years old, you know, and this was a new country, a new state, and it wasn't so developed. So we came to high school, uh, by the way, in grade school, I, I went to a school where they had like, three or four teachers, and one of them had two grades, three grades, you know, was was uh, the whole school had maybe 20 kids, you know. So when I was 12 years old, I went away to high school, a uh, dormitory high school. I was the baby in the high school. I used to come home, let's say, once every four weeks for the weekend. And that first year, in the winter... Something happened to me that really changed my life. When I look back today, I realize something major was happening then. One of those weekends, a Friday night after the meal, there's no class on the weekend, you know, people have free time. So I was the baby, I went, soon after dinner, I went up to my room, I went to sleep. Um, a while later, 
I feel that somebody's pulling down my pajamas and he's starting to perform anal intercourse. So I'm going to be specifically. I didn't know what it is. I knew I was afraid. I, I, I told that somebody who wants to steal my money or what. And uh, I was afraid to open my eyes to show him that I'm awake. I was afraid he was going to kill me if I opened my eyes. So I made believe that I'm asleep. He performed. He did what he did. And he left me alone. Then I, I went back to sleep. A week later, Friday night, the same person did to me the same thing again. The following Sunday, while I was by in the brushing my teeth by the sink, the this the, tall, the tallest boy, the tallest fellow in the high school, comes over to me. Today I know he's probably maybe 17 or 18 years old, the maximum. But in my eyes, he looked then like 20 years old. You know, I was 12. He, he was so tall. He looked at me like a giant. And he says to me, uh, "Hey, kiddo, uh, I have something very important to discuss with you." has to be private. After you finish, finish up, we have to go for a walk. Before class starts, you know, we have to go for a walk, talk about something very important. He, like in the command, you know, he commanded me. You know, and I was, I said, oh, okay. I was scared. So I finished up and I said, okay, let's go for a walk. And he takes me for a walk and then he stops me. He says, stop. I have to tell you something, and you have to listen to me very carefully what I have to tell you about. He says, you know what happens Friday night, this week, and the week before? I said, no, no, I was afraid to admit that I know what... He says, you know very well what happened. Don't make yourself... Don't play it, he says, don't play it, because you have to be... If you be honest, it'll be better. Listen... You know, something very terrible happened between both of us. You know, we're equal partners in this. Don't, you know, don't make yourself the, the, the innocent person. You know, we did something very, very bad. He says to me, you young boy, you don't even know what this is. But I'm telling you something very, very bad that we did here. And you're equal partner in this. And here's what I have to tell you. See, I have experience in life more than you. But this is what I have to tell you. If you tell anybody, anybody in the world about this, anybody in your family, or anybody in this establishment, the teacher, one of the teachers, the principal, one of the rabbis, I don't care, anybody, or anybody in your family, you know what's going to happen? I'll tell you what's going to happen. We're both going to be kicked out of school, and it will be very, very difficult to find another school in the world that will accept me or you, because we're gonna we're gonna go on the blacklist. You know, they're gonna they're gonna spread the news that we are two terrible people, and we were kicked out of this school in the middle of the year. When they're not gonna they're not gonna even let us stay, finish the, the semester, the year. We're gonna be kicked out, you know, the same day. And then he says to me, "You understand what I'm telling you?" So you remember. But now I have to tell you something more than that. More, and even, and that's very important. He says, he turn around and look at me in the eye straight. And I have to tell you something. And he points a finger and says to me like this. I am, he told me his age, I'm not sure, 17, 18 years old. You are a young kid of 12 years. Maybe, maybe, you'll find a, a school, maybe in the other end of, the, of, of, of Earth, maybe someplace in Australia, that's not going to find out that it will accept you. 
maybe you'll find a place where you can run and, and, and be accepted as a student in yeshiva. But me, you know what's going to happen to me if I'm being kicked out of here? My life is going to be over. I'll get a gun or a knife and I'll kill myself. And for the rest of your life, you'll be the one who's going to have to carry around the guilt that you killed me. So you remember, he says, kiddo, he says, listen to me very careful. Do you want to kill me? You want to be my, the murderer? You want to, the rest of your life, carry this around with you? That's the end. Goodbye. I don't want to know you anymore. And from, from today on, you don't know me, I don't know you. We don't know, we don't know each other. Now, when I look back, after I got sober, and I've been in therapy for a long time, and I look back, and I went through my childhood, I discovered and I realized that shortly after that, I started isolating in the, in the bathrooms, in the, in the schools I went to, in the yeshivas, I was sitting in the bathrooms for a couple of hours per day, and starting to play with myself. You know, I didn't even know then what masturbation is, that you, there's a, something called ejaculation. But today I know, when I look back, I, was, I had a lot of pain. I didn't know where to deal with it. I, I was afraid to tell anybody, because I, know, I knew I did something very terrible. And I need to find a place to escape, to run, to deal with my pain. And I found it in the bathroom, isolating, and starting to play with myself, discovering my, my own body. And... Also, I started sometimes leaving school, taking long walks in the woods, going away in the, walking away for a couple of hours. I started to skip class, missing school. I, uh, isolating. And I started to build around myself walls, you know. I became this lonely child. And like a year and a half later, I discovered that if you... If I play myself long enough, I, I, I ejaculate, something happens. And I liked it, I felt very guilty about it, and I promised myself never again to do it. From the first time I did it, I with a promise, I sweared not to do it again. Two weeks later, I did it again, you know. And, and you know, I didn't stop going to the bathroom, I didn't stop the isolation. I just I wanted not to masturbate, you know. Then the, in my head I was busy. I would just play with myself, not to finish. I'll just do this and just do that. And and the dispense in between, the periods in between became shorter and shorter. It was first every two weeks, then it became every ten days, then every week, then every five days, and then every three four four days. In the vicious cycle, the addiction. The guilt and the shame, you know, I did it, the more I did it, the more. And I also became now sexually oriented with, with women, and I started to fantasize about women, and I started to, uh, I couldn't, I didn't, I didn't know there's pornography in the world, maybe they didn't have that, I don't know, but what I did is, if I was able to find a catalog or newspaper, I had something a little more, a little more explicit than, than usually, to look at it and fantasize while I masturbate. And uh, my, my uh, school started to go down. You know, I, started to get my, I got the right disease more, 
In the same time, the high I went on my disease, my studies went downhill. So my mother, I didn't have a father, uh, my father died when I was a young child. So my mother decided, with the principal involved, that m maybe it's better if I change the school, you know. So when I was 14, I changed, I went to another school, and now I switched over to Jerusalem, went to Yeshiva in Jerusalem. And uh, same thing happened there, very similar, very similar thing happened there. I came in there, was one of the youngest in school, and that first year, the first winter, uh, an older boy um, seduced me. He said to me, uh, you want to go for a walk? I said, no problem. And as we're walking, he starts touching me. And, uh, and he said, come on, let's do it. Let's, let's, no, come on, open up. And uh, I fell into it. I felt guilty, remorseful. But I started having a hate relationship with this person for about four years. Couldn't stop. Did it. Then for, as soon as we did it, we turned away from each other, didn't look in each other's faces, didn't like it, didn't for like two weeks, not talk to each other. And then two weeks later, either I, I seduce him or he seduces me, we do it again, and then we like, we don't know each other. You know, we did something very terrible, I don't want to know you, you don't want to know me. And that was, went on for like four years. He felt very guilty because he raped me, you know, legally he raped me. I was 14 years old and he was much older. He was a couple of years older. It's legal rape. So he went and he confessed to one of the rabbis one in the yeshiva who then uh, uh, confronted me and said to me, you have trouble, right, with, with this guy. Uh, I think you should go see somebody. And he sent me to a, a rabbi counselor Somebody who somehow understood. It was the first time in my life I went to see a person who gave me love. Who listened to me. And he did tell me that the only way to deal with this is to talk about it. Deal with it. And he said to me, call me. Every time you're tempted you, to act out, you call me. Call me, talk to me. I also, the same, about the time when I was 15, 16 years old, I started getting into other bad habits in terms of the disease. Now I, the bathroom was one habit, then I started the street walkings, and I started touching women in the streets in a very inappropriate way, you know, touching them, and I, I was cursed off many times. I ran away. It's a miracle I wasn't arrested, you know. I, I mean, I would have, I know today that that was really criminal act, what I was doing. I was touching a woman walking the streets, and, getting into busy streets, I was, I was in school and I didn't show up in class, just I was, used to skip many, many days, either in the afternoon or morning, sometimes the whole day without eating, I was in my addiction, I was a full-blown sex addict, you know. So this counselor, he, uh, in later years, the, the ideas I learned from him helped me in essay, because he spoke about Talking, talk about your urges, talk about your urges and call me and call me every time you have urges. However, one thing was missing that we have an essay that he didn't have. He was higher hierarchy, you know, he was above me, he wasn't talking to me on the same level, you know. And he, sa and he was trying to scare me, you know what's going to happen if you do this, you're going to go down and down and down and your life is going to end up in the mud. And, 
and he, he he wanted to scare me. At the same time, he told me, but I I used to I went to see him, and then maybe I was good. I was able to to maintain sobriety for two or three weeks. Then once I slipped, I I was hiding. I was ashamed to call him. So instead of calling him, I went in deeper, and as soon as I felt very in the mud, very much down, called him again, made an attempt to start again, usually worked for a week or ten days, and it was a cycle. I saw him maybe for a year and a half, constantly, and he, and he said to me, I don't know what to do with you. You know, we're talking about it, the same thing over and over and over. I don't know what I could do with you. He says, you know, he says, I believe, and this is one thing he was mistaken. He says, I believe you marry... It'll work out. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I. Now, anyway, in my in my in my community, there's a tradition that we marry young. At age 19, 20, we start looking and we find a. We, there's something called a matchmaker. We use a matchmaker to match us up. So through a matchmaker, I, I met my wife, who was from the United States. I came back to the United States, living back to the United States. We, uh, we met each other. She came to Israel, and then I came to America. We met a couple of times, and there's a family match. We got engaged, and we announced we were going to get married. And uh, I promised myself, when I got engaged, that... that <laughs> I have, to, I have to begin a new life, a clean life. I, I can't go on like this. <laughs> so it worked again two or three weeks. Two or th <laughs> <laughs> and then after I fell, I said to myself, well, okay, what can I do? But when I get married, that's when I'm going to really clean up. Okay. My engagement, okay, I guess it's not yet, I'm not ready, but when I marry, I really. So, the day before I, I, I married, again, I swear, and I promise God, I promise, God, I promise you, I'm, I'm going to start this new, clean life, pure, pure life, spiritual life with my wife together. And okay, ten days after... <laughs> After I was married, 10 days, and my wife prepared, my wife prepared, I think it was the first dinner she made home, prepared home, you know, and she said to me to come home, she made a very nice dinner, and, and instead of going home, I live in Muncie, New York, you know, I went, what happened is I came back, I came living to the United States, and I continued to go to Rabbi Nickel School, you know, to become, I want to become a rabbi, you know, religious person. And uh, so, instead of coming home in the evening, I don't know what got me. I just uh, took a bus into the city, into New York City, I started cruising the streets, and I discovered peep shows, you know. I came home at 3 o'clock in the morning. She called the police, she called my friends, where, where is Hannah? She didn't know where I am. And I gave an excuse that somehow, I don't know, I don't know, for, for so many years I was married, every excuse, that's her issues. But I used to give her stories and excuses, and she, every time I told her, she wanted to believe them, okay? Come to her in the morning, and she said to me, look, look at me. 
the table is prepared, I prepared a dinner for you and we're going to sit down and have a dinner. I couldn't deal with intimacy. I couldn't deal with, with love, you know. And the way I, I dealt with it is running. Running and, and I still didn't act out with a prostitute. It was only peep shows, okay. But that started the running into the city and, it's, and I didn't... This is about an hour and a half trip from where I live, running into New York City for days. Sometimes days, sometimes nights. And giving my wife stories. And somehow, I don't know, she, went, she just stayed with me, you know. A year and a half later, my daughter was born. My first daughter. And I want to go buy a gift for my wife piece of jewelry. Somebody gave me an address in the city, a, a contact, the person is going to give me a good price. So I go into New York City. And I'm supposed to go into this, to a jewelry store to buy a gift for my wife. And I start cruising. I get over the bus and I, I go to... And I remember as I get to the corner there, I say, well, wait, I'll just stay, walk around the block a little bit. Uh, uh, 50 minutes. 50 minutes, you know. Okay, so I start cruising 50 minutes, and then another 50 minutes, and another 50 minutes. Uh, by two hours, you know, losing two hours. And then I bump into a person, this big, tall, black fellow. He has, gives out pamphlets. He says, girls, $10, $15. He says, check it out, check it out, check it out, check it out. And I take it, and I take it, and I'm already in heat. You understand? I'm already... I'm <laughs> And I'm reading this, and I see how the letters are jumping in front of my eyes. And I'm, and I'm saying, should I do this? No, how could I? How could I? How could I? I'm going to go just... No, 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 I can't. I can't. How could I do this? And my head is this big fight. And I'm saying, I'm anyway so bad. No, I'm not so bad. Is it so bad? Is it the same? Is it not the same? I'm contemplating. Is it as bad as the peep show? Is it masturbation? Or is it worse? Is it not worse? Maybe it's the same. It's equal. I might as well. I might as well do it. Not do it. And I walk around the block a couple of more times and bump into a couple of more women. I said, okay, so I made a decision. I'm going to walk up there. I'm just going to look. <laughs> I, I, today I look back. It's insane. It doesn't make sense. <laughs> So I walk up there, and there's a guy sitting in the front. He says, you got to pay first, and you get a ticket, and then you pick one of them, you give them the ticket, and they're yours. As I come upstairs, and I see the guy, and he says, $15. So I say to myself, I'm just going to, I'm just going to give him the money. I'm not going to do it. So I give him the money, and I say to him, what are you doing? No, no, I'm, I'm not, I'm just going to go in the room. I just want to see him. So I get a ticket, and I went and I gave it to a girl, and she takes me down the hallway to her room. As soon as we come in, I remember how I, f I, I remember so vividly, I felt so, so guilt, guiltful and shameful, and yet I, I, I couldn't walk out. I, I, she said to me, get undressed, I'll be back in a couple of minutes. And uh, I got undressed, and she came back, and we did it, and we did it. I left there, I left there, I gotta tell you, with such a hole in my, in my soul, I felt that I'm the most disgusting person on earth. And I said to him, what, 
I started and I said, "What am I doing? What am I? Do- What's the matter with me? I'm, I'm going down the drain. I'm going down, down and down." I bought a piece of jewelry and I came and I gave it to my wife. A week later, I came back to the same place. You know why? I was I was addicted to it. You know, came back. The place was closed. No, they have, in New York it's not legal, so they have police. You know, they 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 bust these places. You know, time to time. So I came back, I came special into New York, and I go up, and the place is closed, there's a notice, police, uh, place closed, I said to myself, but I was, again, I was heated up, I was, you know, and I, and I, I had to have my fix. And I walked down the streets, and I, and I started cruising, and cruising, and cruising, and I found another place. And I crossed that line. Now I started going to prostitutes. Now I said, I'm crazy with peep shows, if I do it, I have to do it the real way, you know. And now I crossed the, this another boundary, another fence, and I was into the prostitutes. I was doing that for maybe a year. Then I, I felt very guilty. I said to myself, maybe I'm crazy. Maybe I need to see a doctor. So I went to see two doctors, two psychologists, and several sessions, and both of them, they were trying to figure out maybe... I'll do it with my wife, different positions, it will satisfy me. Um, what is the, I'm looking for something, uh, and i got to try out with my wife, all different positions, this way, that way, that maybe I'll... So I come home and tell my wife, and she says, disgusting, I don't want to get involved in this. So now, in my, wife, in my mind, I'm saying to myself, it's her fault. She's his fault. <laughs> so now, I don't even have to feel so guilty, right? I mean, so now, it's starting progressing worse and worse and worse. And I started using, borrowing money, using my credit cards. And I really went out of hand, very fast. So then I decided... The, they're so expensive, you know. Uh, maybe I'm gay. Maybe I'm gay. I, I'm, I'm going to try the, the other side. Let's see how the other side looks. So I now decided, no more women. No more women. I started visiting the gay clubs in New York City. I visited every one of them and hanging out in them and performing. I didn't like it. It's something. And one day I said to myself, what's the matter with me? I don't even enjoy this. Okay. Go back to the woman. <laughs> My habit became very expensive, and I realized that I, I got to have a lot of money to support my habit. So I said to myself, I uh, will quit school, religious school, and I uh, go in business myself. I have to make quick money, fast money. By hook or by crook, because I has I have to this, um, I have to have my my uh, my fix, and uh, I'm gonna have to find a way to do it. So I quit school and told my wife I'm going into business. I became a salesman from one trade to another. I ended up in real estate, and I discovered ways of making a lot of money, not legally. I started playing around with paper, and I made hundreds of thousands of dollars. And I developed uh, my habit became very expensive. Four, five, six thousand dollars a month in my habit. Visiting prostitutes, going to hotels, paying 150, 
$130 a night and spending out calls, you know, uh, paying them $100 an hour, $150 an hour, spending with them five, six hours at a time, you know, it's expensive, expensive. But I had money and I didn't care. Plus I was self-employed. Now I wasn't accountable anymore, right? I was self-employed. I could tell my wife a lot of stories. I'm going into Manhattan, a business meeting, I have to meet people, I'll be late, I don't know if everyone can come home. I might sleep over in New York, I'll find hotels. So now, I had, my cover-up was very good. In uh, the end, it's getting a little late. I'm going to try to go for to skip a couple of years. Say like this. Through my progression, I started picking up street walkers, and many of the street walkers were drug addicted, alcoholics, drug addicts, you know. And I think that I developed so much self-hatred, the only place in the world I felt good is with a streetwalker who is dirty and uh, feels a little lower than myself, you know. I can tell myself I'm, I'm not as bad, I'm a little better than she is. So I started really hanging out with the streetwalkers, the drug addicts. And in a couple of years, I said to myself, they're not so bad, they're good, nice people treat me nice and so after a couple of years I said to them well maybe I should try this stuff too because they kind of looked they, they got mellow or horny when they got high so I decided maybe I'll try that stuff too so I decided I'll smoke pot see how it feels if it uh, makes it better because I prostitute get some pot and uh, so I smoked pot several times I didn't like it, really didn't like it. So I said to myself, oh God, it's good. I guess I cannot, I can't be an addict, so I could try the other stuff also, right? So I decided, I'll try cocaine. If I am immune to pot, I'm probably immune to cocaine also. So I... <laughs> so I, I told the girl, I want to, I want to do cocaine. She said, no problem. She got me some powder, and the first night I spent like $800 with a combination. The girls and, and the cocaine, I got hooked on that stuff the first night. Now, my, my addiction was a bifold, you know, with girls together with cocaine. And I don't know which one was more expensive. It really got, it's like, and I was switching. Either one night I went out, I did both of them together. Then I decided, no, I got to stop the cocaine and do just the girls. A couple of days, only the girls. Then I said, no, this is really evil. Cocaine is not legal, but it's not in the Bible. It doesn't, it's not so bad. <laughs> it's not just the cocaine. <laughs> so I'll just do cocaine. And then after two days, I said to myself, it's not worth it. I gotta have, it's not, you know, I gotta have the full, the full. So I have to do it together. If not, it's not, it's not worth it. It's wasting money. So then I, and it was a cycle, a vicious cycle, you know, from going from again and again and again and again. I started using cocaine in about 1988. Not long after, like a year later, no, I would say maybe two years later, I was one night with a girl in a hotel and I was sniffing cocaine and performing, and she was smoking crack. And I said to her, you know, I'm, I'm going to feel guilty tomorrow. Why am I doing this? 
Why are you doing this? He said, you're right. Don't do it. Do what I do. You'll feel better. So that's, and so she gives me the pipe, small crack. And I did it, and I said, oh, yes, this is, this is what I was looking for. <laughs> now it's going to be... <laughs> and that first night, I spent all my money. She, now, now, now she saw I'm really into it. She said, let's get my girlfriend. We'll party here together. She, she we went out, we got dressed, we got her girlfriend. We all got undressed, and we smoked crack all night, and... Had sex. Seven thirty in the morning, I'm penniless. Penniless. You know, I went throughout the night several times to the bank to take out another hundred dollars, another hundred dollars. Seven thirty in the morning, ran out of money. Ran out of money, maxed out in my card. You know, there's a limit. Don't you take out? I have to go home. I said to myself, what? So she said, I'll lend you five dollars. She gives me five dollars to go home for talk. I'm a nice guy. Within a year and a half of getting into that habit, I practically almost lost everything. I, I had my own business at that time. I owned lots of real estate and managed real estate. I stopped paying the bills. I started, my habit became very expensive, very expensive. In June of 91, it's a little late. I would say, okay. In June of 91, I have a child who needs surgery. We went out to Wilmington, Delaware for a couple of days. I promised myself while we're going out to Wilmington, I will be clean. For my, for my wife, my kid, I'm going away a couple of days in the hospital. We drove up to Wilmington. As soon as we got in the hospital, I needed my fix. I dropped off my wife and my son, and I said to them, I'll be back in half an hour. I have to go away. Uh, I want to take a, a walk, I find a hotel in the area. But in my mind, that's something else. I, 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 again, I, I, I need my fix. Within an hour, I had $500 and a prostitute. And for three days, I, I was busy with her. Instead of being in, in the hospital with my wife and my son, I, was, I visited every day for half an hour and told my wife, it's too much for me. I, I can't take this in the hospital. It's too much. I can't see what's doing. You, you're very good at this. You deal with it so good. Uh, I have to stay in a hotel. And, and it worked somehow. When I came back from, and I, I burned out, I smoked up, I used it up, the $500, and then I, was, I needed more. I found a rabbi in Wilmington, Delaware, who cashed me a check, another $100 check. And I, was, I had another, this is how desperate I was. When I came back from Wilmington, Delaware, I felt so much despair, and I felt to myself, I said to myself, you're crazy, you're so bad, you're so bad, you're so evil, what's going to be with you? And I needed, and I was ready to go for help. I was ready to go for help. And my wife also realized that something is very wrong with me. I'm not showing up, I'm, I'm spaced out most of the time. And she said to me, are you using drugs? I said, no, no, why are you good? Me? <laughs> so she asked, she asked someone else in the family, uh, 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 her brother, to confront me. But when he, I, I was ready, the brother came over to me and he said to me, uh, "I think you're using drugs." I said, "Yes, I'm using drugs. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I need help." So he said, "Let's call up the hotline." So we called up the hotline. I went to see. I went to see. I went to a clinic. They assigned me a therapist. 
His name was Scott. Carmen says, Scott, it's not the drugs. It's the girls. It's the girls. I know. It's the girls. You know, it's, you gotta, you, if you can't stop me from that, it's no, it's, it's, your time is wasted. I said to him, it's not, it's not the drugs. It's, it's, I know. I know myself. He said to me, one thing at a time. One thing at a time. You gotta, first time using the drugs, then we'll deal with the girls. He said, you have to learn to stay with me. I said, I said, Scott, you don't understand. My issue is with the girls. It's not the drugs. He said, one thing. He was right. He was right. Today I know. I want, I want, I'm going to skip a little bit. So after a couple of months seeing him and denying, I finally admitted and listened to him that I have a drug addiction as well. I mean, I started with the girls, but I ended up very deep in the drugs. And uh, I started going to, a, to AA, NA and AA, and I was told you need a sponsor. And October 23rd, 91, I went on my left room with drugs. I, I went out after a couple of weeks being clean. I picked up drugs. I went to visit the prostitutes. I knew where she lived. And I uh, hung out with her all day, all day and night. And I came home at 11.30 at night, very depressed. And I felt this is, this is not working. This AA stuff is not working. It's not worth it. What's the whole thing? What's this whole bit? You know, what, what is this all about? I, 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 I don't know what to do. So I called up my sponsor. His name was Robert. And I started crying to him on the phone. I said, Robert, you know what I just did? I spent $800. I've been two days in a run. And I don't know what it's going to be. So he says to me, Stop! I, want to, I don't want to listen to you. You're going to listen to me now. So he says to me, why are you calling me? I said, you gave me your number, and I said you could call me. <laughs> I said, you told me I could call you if I need help. So he says, excuse me, you're calling for help now? You're not calling for help. You're depressed. You don't know what to do with yourself after spending so much money. After you know, doing so many, after spending so much on your on your drugs, so you come home, you're depressed, you don't know what to do, so you call me up. You're like a little kid who made a dirty diaper and says, "Mommy, I'm dirty. Please change me." So you want me to wipe you? This is not what I gave you my number. This is not what the AA stands for. No, I gave you my number and I told you you call me if you want help. You call me before, not after. It's 11:30 now at night. Now I have to work tomorrow. He says to me, he says to me, you know what? You are insane. You are crazy. You don't even know what you're doing to yourself. You are gonna die. You're gonna die. There's no way out. And you know, I know it because I was there myself. He says, if you wanna help, you call me 8.30 in the morning before the bank opens. Before you can cash the check. Have a good night, and he hung up the phone on me. But when he hung out that phone, something happened. I had my first step. I started crying. I said, God, the man is right. I'm insane. I'm insane. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. And I cried and cried. I said, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. The man is right. I'm insane. I'm insane. What's going to be with me? I don't even know what I'm doing to myself. 8.30 in the morning, I called him. 
And that started my journey in AA. And, and Robert, and for a year, so I said to him, it's the girls. It's the girls, it's the girls. He said to me, one thing at a time. You gotta learn, put on the drugs first. You have problems with the girls, he says, go buy pornography, go to the bedroom, masturbate 12 times a day. But you gotta stay away from the prostitutes. But I said to him, you don't understand, but when I, when I do that, it, it turns me on. I, he said to me, I'm sober a couple of years in AA, I haven't been to prostitutes, why can't you do that? I masturbate, I feel guilty about it, but it doesn't mean that I have to go to prostitutes. you got to learn to do that. But what happened is, my spiritual awakening I had, I learned from him. He put in God in my life, and he taught me how to walk the streets every day and pray, God help me, please help me, please help me. He said to me, 10 o'clock in the morning, if you haven't said a hundred times today, please help me, I'm going to die, please help me, then, then you're going to pick up, you're going to die. And he used to be very strict with me, you know, every day, call on. How many times do you pray today? And he said, I don't care about your religious prayers. I'm talking about the God of AA, the God of your heart. you got to talk to him like a son to a father. He said, Dad, help me, Dad, help me, I'm going to die. I had my spiritual awakening. And I tried to follow his advice. I really tried to buy a lot of pornography and masturbate. <laughs> On November 26, 1992, I was supposed to go into a train station and go someplace. And instead of, as soon as I walked down the stairs, I, I decided instead of going this direction, I'll go this direction so I could pick up a prostitute. I took the train the other direction and I walked to a certain place and I walked up from the subway station up to the streets. And I started cruising around a neighborhood with prostitutes. And as I'm doing this, I said to myself, what are you doing? You're going to die, you're going to die, you're going to die. And I'm walking around for two hours. And at the end, I picked up a prostitute who was a drug addict. And I take her up to a hotel. And she's smoking crack. And I'm saying to myself, what are you doing? You're just a year that you're clean from drugs and you're getting back into this, playing with your life. I did what I did with her. I left her total despair. I left her saying to myself, I don't need AA, I just want to die, I want to die. The next day or two days later, I went to visit my therapist and I came into her office and I sat down in a chair and I started crying. And I cried and I cried and I cried and I said to her, my life is over. This AA stuff does not work. I, it's not worth it for me. If I can't stay away from the prostitutes, I want to die. I can't live like this. It's, it's not worth it. I might as well go buy some cocaine. Let me overdose. Let me finish this. Let me be over this. And I cried and I cried for 45 minutes. And I said, uh, I, I just, it, it's, it's not for me. Maybe some people say it's good for me. It, it, it's not working. If I, because to me it's a prostitute. And she listened and listened and listened. The last 10 minutes she said to me, you know what? Don't give up. Is there any hope? Is there anything you could think about? I said, yes. I said, I, I, I don't know, but I remember a year and a half ago when I saw Scott, he mentioned to me a name I say. I said to her, I don't know if that's going to work. I don't know if AA didn't work. I don't know if that's going to work. 
I'm going to try it. <laughs> my life is over. You know, my life is over. I might. I don't see how if I made the same 12 steps. If A didn't work, why would that work? She said to me, try it. Don't give up. She said to me, God loves you. God loves you. Don't give up. Don't get tried. I left her office and I walked out. I ran to the first payphone and I called her information. I said, you have a listing essay? You have a listing essay? They said, no. I said, Sexologist Anonymous, essay, this area code, that area code. I finally found a listing essay. I called up and I am sober since that day. No. I'm sober. I'm sober because I'm crazy, not evil. Thank you very much. I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening, and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.